Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Welcome back to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters. It's nice. It has a nice ring to it. The whoever came up with those were pretty, were pretty sharp. I'm pretty sure Theology Matters was uh, a James White special. Oh yeah, yeah. He's. I've heard him on uh, the Dividing Line several times talking about human flourishing and how Al Mohler kind of coined that term, or I guess was the first that he heard speaking of it. And sometimes Al Mohler will talk about theology matters, and James White's like, I give him credit for using his, but he doesn't. So now, when we were coming up with the name of the Facebook group that we moderate. Hmm. Did, did did one of you suggest that? I think you did, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, because that's why I remembered it as what would be a good name? Theology Matters. So I'm not... Because you came up with Mike and Mike Theology Plus. Yeah. And... Well, I came up with Mike and Mike. Right. And I we, think you... I, th- I had a, a worse ending. <laughs> and I think you helped me out with that. Yeah. So... Yeah. yeah. You know what's funny? What's that? Um... In theology matters, it, what part of speech is matters? That's, the, yes. It's the first time it's occurred to me that it's not just a verb. Right. Yeah. 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 That's that, that. I thought that was part of the beauty or of I the guess, word. And, and theology would then be an adjective instead of a noun. Right. Yeah. 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 I hadn't gotten that until now. I've been moderating <laughs> it for a few months and, you know, ding, the light just went on. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. But I've always heard it. In right. the noun verb right, context, right. so that right, yeah. was just kind of burned in. Yeah. So, um, I'm still in my Pat's gear. Yeah. Um, but we talked about maybe recording <laughs> dual entrances of me either being happy or sad. Um, but I guess that would have gone on the last podcast, anyways, because this will come out. You know, the last podcast that we did will oh, come out yeah. the, the Wednesday after the Super Bowl. True. And uh, this one will be the second Wednesday after the Super Bowl. So after a long break of about five minutes, right. we're back. We're back for our next episode. So this will be episode three of Unconditional Election. Which is 14 overall. 14 overall, yeah. Yeah, Did, yeah it's very good. So, Well, when I, I listened today <laughs> to the one preceding the and one it was we... 12. It was 12. Yeah, so, so, yeah. Yeah. I can do math. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we left off having read through um, verse thirteen. Yeah, Romans nine thirteen. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear it. I I got distracted by the the siren that's mm. going by. So I'm more focused. I did hear yeah, it, but yeah. I didn't well, let it distract me. After we do the you know the the gate on here, maybe our audience won't hear it, but maybe mm-hmm. you will. So, anyways, um, <clears throat> so what shall we say then? Okay, so verse 13, just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. So before we move on to the next verse, a lot of people get outraged at Esau I've hated. And I heard one very smart gentleman said, what we should actually be outraged at is that Jacob I loved. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the amazing, because, all right, um, little side note, I'm doing a writing project. I don't know if you can see, I've got a bucket of pens there. Um, I like fountain pens and nice paper. And so I've decided to do a Bible writing project where I'm going to write from Genesis to Revelation. And I hope to finish it 
this decade. Um, <laughs> actually, that's about true because if it ends at the end of 2020, that's kind of where I'm aiming yeah. to end it in about two. It, anyway, it won't take you a decade, but you'll finish it by this decade. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping. I, I was making a 10-year joke, but I'm actually hoping to do it in about two. But I'm just last night finished through Genesis 19, and. Obviously, as you're writing it out by hand, you get a lot deeper in the scripture and you get to meditate on more stuff or I guess less stuff more deeply and slowly. Um, And it just it has struck me over and over and over. These are not good guys. Right. Right. I mean, um, the first thing that Noah does that's recorded. I mean, obviously there's a time gap because he had to grow the grapes that then had to ferment into the wine. But the first thing that we get that's moral that he does after the flood as he gets drunk. Right. And then one of his kids does something that I don't, I, I still don't know what he did. Well, I know what he did. Oh, what? He uncovered his nakedness. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> that's so helpful. Um, well, I mean, that's a bizarre statement to I me know. because later on the priests have to wear underwear basically so that as they go up on the altar, their nakedness is not uncovered. Right. And like, did he just go in and peek under his... Yeah, robe or? I'm not sure what anyway, what's going on because then the, then they walk backwards to cover them up so that they don't. I, yeah, maybe. But it seems odd. I mean, we both. But then played, later on, having sex with a relative is uncovering the nakedness of like right. your uncle. Yeah. So it. I'd like better understanding. That. Yeah, but because anyway. we both played sports, and I, well, I think our times are changing. But at least when I was younger and playing sports, there was a, you know a communal shower, and it wasn't unheard of that you would you know there were other people showering while you were showering so especially back in this time you would think that uh, you know that wouldn't be just seeing someone naked wouldn't be that huge of a deal that you know your I, I think it was his grandchild uh ham's grandchild gra- ham's son that actually did the the deed based on some wording there but that's, we don't have to delve into that mm. but um it seems odd that just merely seeing, you know, your grandfather or father, if it was ham without clothes on would cause this huge rebuke. So yeah, I don't know what's going on there other than he uncovered his nakedness. Yeah. So any, but anyway, so, you know, Noah, 120 years, righteous guy. Then the first thing that, I mean, why, why record it if not to highlight the fact that this good guy who's blameless, according to the Bible, still is a, a rank sinner. Right. You know, and then um, you've got Abraham who just can't tell the truth to save his life. Actually, right. he's trying to save his life. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing, we, you know, at least with Abraham, when he says, Sarah's my sister, that's a half truth. Right. When Isaac does it, it's a whole lie. You know, and it's just so interesting to look through Abraham time one, Abraham time two, Isaac does the same thing. Um, And and so you you have all of this stuff, you know, well, are you named Jacob? Right. Which means he grasps or he cheats. Right. You know, and and I think Esau has some valid points when he's saying that type of stuff. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the incidents with the household gods and Abraham gets mad and berates Laban because his wife actually did steal the house. You know, I mean, right. there's just all of this. I mean, they're just rank sinners. And thankfully we're not. So we can understand how God loves us. Um, but he couldn't love Jacob. You know that, right? No, that's not been my experience of me. No. Right. No. So, so 
we could put anyone's name in there. We could put you know, Michael McAvoy, Michael Mod, or you know, Joel Olstein even. And <laughs> it would I be have love. <laughs> um, and it would be. You don't want to pick that. No, no. Up. Um, it would be stunning that God would love us as as sinners, and yet He does. <clears throat> and so, if, if you truly understand total depravity, we're sinners. Mm-hmm. We don't seek God. We don't want God's rule over our life. Um, we are at enmity with God. Uh, his wrath is on us. And yet some of us like Jacob, God loves. And to a certain extent, I would say our wrath is also on him as unbelievers mm-hmm. that, I mean, not that that does anything because we're such impotent creatures, right, but right. it's not, it's not that you've got these poor, pitiful creatures that so desperately want a relationship with God, but he's just being a meanie and keeping them under, you know, they are spitting in God's face as right. much as they, they No, it's, it's worthless because they have no power to actually harm God, but it's definitely a two way street of wrath and anger and hatred. Right. Right. Okay. So from there, Paul's, um, Next verse, verse 14 is, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? His responses may it never be. Actually, I've got the ESV. You've got the NASB. My ESV says by no means. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually prefer. KJV? God forbid. God forbid. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the truth is that that is not a word for word translation. (laughs) But it seems to capture the gravitas of what Paul is trying yeah. to say here. Like, no, by no means. Or, right. You know, is that what yours says? By no means? By no means. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it, it's me genoita in yeah. the Greek. And it's like the strongest negation that you can say right. in mm-hmm. Greek. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. So let's pause there. Um, It doesn't depend on our activities. It doesn't depend on our mental states of wanting. It's not our will. It's not our actions. It depends on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh. Before we move on from that, for the people who take this as corporate or national election, where do you get that? I mean, I know that Jacob I loved and Esau I hated comes from Malachi. And I know that Jacob does represent Israel. Esau does represent Edom. And that does play itself out in the history of the Old Testament. But um, in verse 15, God does not say to Moses, I will have mercy on the nation on whom I will. And I will have compassion on the He's talking about people. Mm -hmm. And in that context, he's having mercy on Moses and he's having mercy on the children of Israel. And he is not having mercy on Pharaoh or the people of Egypt, except for the ones who appear to have come with Israel. Because it seems like some small number of Egyptians ran out to safety with Israel. That, That to me, I don't know how you get... I will have mercy on whom I have mercy mm-hmm. and, and automatically expand that into some corporate or national category. Well, that also plays in the fact that <clears throat> his choosing of Jacob over Esau was done before they had really done any, uh, any acts or, or deeds. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was before birth. Now we, they both have a sin nature, um, at that point in time, because they're both progeny of, of Adam and under his federal headship, but they've done no actual, uh, sin by commission at this point, um, good or bad. And yet, uh, he's chosen, uh, Jacob before ever anything gets start, anything gets started. Um, all right. So, so I, maybe this is a good place to go back to 14 and kind of deal with the objection there. Cause I think 17 and 18 leads into the objection of 19. Right. Okay. Yeah. So again, as we talked about last week, um, if your interpretation of Romans nine, one through 13 does not tend to raise the objection in your hearers of verse 14, then perhaps you're not really giving the force to verses one through 13 that, that right. exist there. Cause right. Paul at least expects that the natural reading, at least of a first time reading through one through 13 is having, is people going to go, wait a second, Paul, right. hold the phone. So are you saying God's not just right? And then, and then later on we'll see another similar objection. Yeah. Cause what we naturally tend to think is that good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. If you believe in a heaven hell system, which I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you at least have, if have you those. don't, that's our presupposition. So right, yeah. that's where we're coming from. Um, that's, that, that's the natural way of thinking. I think we talked about this a little bit, two episodes ago. I know we talked about it one episode ago, um, where our kind of our natural inclination is to think that, um, the people who do good get rewarded with good people who um, do bad get rewarded with with bad. I think there's that playing in here, but I think there's also what we talked about two episodes ago with Arminianism is kind of the natural presupposition of the human mind. And that is that um, I'm an integral factor in my own salvation, not not just the kind of scales, are you good or Mm -hmm. bad? And that determines where you're going, which if you understand total depravity, Right. Everyone is hellbound in their natural state because they are actually evil. But also this idea that Paul is sweeping out from underneath people this idea that they can stand on their own choice. You know, it is it is not the person who wills, it is not the person who runs, it is God who has mercy. And then God says, And my having mercy, my having compassion is all up to me. I will do it on those who I want to do it to. I am not obligated to mercy or compassion because those are actually, it's a verbal form. Mm-hmm. God, God says, I don't have to mercy or compassion anybody. I will do that to whom mm-hmm. I feel like doing. Yeah. And it was at this point <clears throat> that RC says that, uh, he felt he could sense the injustice in it. Cause he said, I perfectly knew that, um, we didn't deserve salvation. And I perfectly knew that um, salvation was a free gift, but to think that those who get it are is merely in God's choice and it's not on, on, you know, we don't play a role in it seemed a bit, bit unfair. Um, that reminds me of a John MacArthur meme that it's him thundering from the pulpit. And it says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Right. You know? It, yeah. So, do you really want to play a role in your salvation? Because, I mean, I, I, honestly, we would all fumble it if it were up to us. If it were up to st- to come or if it were up to us to stay, we'd be hosed. We'd be without right, hope. Right. 
so this is this is the point where he I I think I mentioned this two episodes ago. He you know pulled out his card and said that you know at this seminary you're required to believe and to teach what the Bible says, not what you want the Bible to say. And so this is why he had you know to come to this conclusion. Um, and I think it's I I mentioned to you pre recording that when I was, you know, in my 20s or so reading through Romans and stuff, these questions, how kind of Paul interrupts himself and asks these questions, I thought was kind of, you know, okay, you know, come on, let's go through. But it really does, it's, it gets the heart of, if you don't under, you know, if you don't understand what Paul's saying, if your interpretation of what Paul is saying couldn't naturally lend itself to this objection, uh, at least by the natural man, then you probably have the wrong interpretation of mm-hmm. it. Um, RC also says, you know, as a professor, you know, he could, you know, give some thesis or um, teach something in the class and he would naturally know what the objections were. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul naturally knows what the objections are to what he's saying. And it is, wow, this doesn't seem fair. Now, if you drew like six, he has a, a chalkboard, you know, RC always had a chalkboard and he would write, you yeah. know, maybe one or two words on there, but then never hardly use it, yeah. which I thought was funny. But he actually went over his chalkboard and he wrote six little lines and he said, all right, these, all these people are under the, the fall of Adam. All of them deserve hell. And he draws a circle around six or three of them, half of them and says, these three God chooses to have mercy on. He mercies, he compassions, which one of the six up there doesn't get justice or gets injustice, right? Right. Which one, at least in, yeah. Thanks for fixing that. Yeah. Which of them gets some injustice against them? No one gets injustice. Right. Um, so what is there to be upset about really from God's point of view? If we really have, if we really see ourselves as the criminals, we are, we all deserve hell. God compassions some. Right. And at the same time, I think I watched the same video that you did. He talks about kind of a governor extending clemency. And if a governor pardons someone that's on death row, that does not obligate him in any way to act in any way towards anybody else that's on death row. Right. He, he can, he can make that choice for one person or all or none or some, all of that sovereignty and it's a limited sovereignty, but all of that sovereignty rests in his office as governor and the people on death row have no claim on that mercy, right. on that grace. Right. And if they did have a claim, then it's not grace. Then it's not grace. <laughs> right. right. That's what Paul says. Uh, I think it's Galatians, but it could be Ephesians. I think it's Galatians. If you work, if you earn for it, it's no longer grace. It's a, uh, I think it's, it's a, a wage. Four. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe it's possible. It could be in more than one spot. Yeah. You looking for it? Uh, four, four Romans, four, four. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Yep. So, uh, grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then we move on in verse 17 for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, which is 
reasserting really what was said in verse 15. But then here comes the, would you call it a contrapositive or... Man, you're throwing that logical term out of me. Out of me. <laughs> Here comes kind of the flip side of it, right. right? So in verse 15, he says, I will mercy and I will compassion. So kind of parallel ideas. Mm-hmm. And here are contrasting ideas. And yet it's still a parallel idea where he says, right. I will mercy whomever. He has mercy on whomever he wills. Mm-hmm. And he hardens whomever he wills. Mm-hmm. And some people want to run away immediately and have that be judicial hardening and all of this. But... Pharaoh, I, anyway. Right, and and I think this speaks, uh, again, I'm pausing here because I, I just, thinking about how Leighton Flowers, I don't want to just keep going back to Leighton Flowers, but how he... Well, he's, re- I mean, he is one of the major voices right. on the other side of this issue today. Right, but how he continues, I even had this... Um, discussion with my uh uh daughter because we were listening to the um debate mm-hmm. as we were driving and you know so i'm catching podcasts you know as soon as i get out of the car it stops right and we i go do life and then i get in the car and it starts what happens to start in the middle of one of Leighton flowers talking and, you know, like that stamp that you have for books, like, you know, this is utter, you know, like, <laughs> rank heresy for rank research heresy purposes for research only. only. Yeah. Yeah. So we got out, of the, we were drawing our drive to a close. And I paused it and I was like, okay, girls, I don't agree with, I just, so you, just so you know, I don't agree with what he was saying. And in fact, lots of times he's misrepresenting what the Calvinist believes. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is called a straw man. And I was like, well, what's easier to defeat me or the, uh, a straw man that's made to look like me. And, and so Again, when we go to the to bring this back to what, I, what reason I brought this up was he has mercy on whom he has who he desires and he hardens whom he desires. The length at which he has to go through to have mercy on someone is much greater than the length he would have to go to harden someone mm-hmm. because our natural state is already hardened against him. All he has to do is remove some of the protections that he's put on them. Like, okay, you want to go that direction? Take take it. I'll, I'll let you hate me. I'll mm-hmm. let you. I'll remove these barriers, these things I had put up. You you can commit these evil acts. You can have these evil thoughts. It's and and basically you're letting that person continue down the path that they're already wanting to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why. You know, Genesis says that Pharaoh hardened his heart and or Exodus says that Pharaoh hardened his heart and God hardened his heart. They're right. they're they're both in there. So they can both do something right that has the same goal but with different purposes? Correct. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yep. Um yeah, so interesting little side note. I was listening to some YouTube videos of people who were trying to refute Calvinism and I would be listening to a YouTube video and pause it and take some notes. And my son who wasn't like really involved, but he's, I'm at my desk, he's on the couch behind me. And all of a sudden I hear him say, you don't agree with that guy, do you? (laughs) (laughs) And I realized, Uh you know, I I might should set some context here. And so then I explained to him what I was doing and no, I don't agree with him. In fact, I disagree with him. And as you said, I, I think Leighton Flowers, um, 
frequently even misrepresents what Calvinists believe. So not only right. do I disagree with what he positively asserts about Arminianism, right. which he won't call himself that he's a provisionalist. Mm-hmm. As, uh, I also don't agree with him about what he says about Calvinism. So right, because he could, he does not seem to be able to make the same distinctions that we can make between like equal ultimacy and double jeopardy. Like that's what I was kind of referring to here. Right. With, I'll have mercy on who I have mercy, and I'll harden who I'll have Martin, who I desire as well. The, those just because God can affect both of those doesn't mean that his effort. Or you know what he has to go through because in order to have mercy on us, we had to have we had to have the Son of God murdered on a cross, right? Right. Um, so those links were were much greater um, that he went through. Yeah, and in fact, to harden, um, he needs to reduce the effort that he's putting out and <laughs> remove the common grace that he's already giving right. the reprobate. Right. 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 Yep. All right. So verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And again. If you're preaching 1 through 18 and you don't have a lot of people saying verse 19, Mm -hmm. then might I submit, a little criticism, might I submit that you're not preaching 1 through 18 correctly? Right. Yep. Um, I agree. And then, you know, to to really... Because I've had this thought too. Like, uh, And... I had to pause for what I was um, If it were me writing this without the inspiration of the spirit, I would answer that differently. But Paul gives, you know, the, the answer that we're about to get. But, um, you know, Adam chose for us. We chose in Adam. Um, so go ahead. Well, and I think maybe he doesn't say that here because he said that in chapter five. Right. Right. So he's presuming that his readers who were probably a lot better readers air quotes for the podcast, uh, because most of them were actually hearers, but they, they seem to have just thought better in the ancient times than we do today. They seem to have been able to sustain thoughts and arguments and hear something in chapter five. And then you get to chapter nine, 15 minutes later, and they're still able to put those pieces together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm studying, listening through a, a series in Revelation, and the guy um, is is making the point that there's so much that's introduced early on that's not resolved until the end of the book, but that people in those days, in the oral culture they were Could in, have held that they would have they would have yeah. known. Okay, here's an unresolved thing. I'm just going to kind of hang that on a hook in the back of my brain, and this author mind, this author. We don't have hooks in our minds. We do have hooks. This author is going to resolve that tension for us later. And so that by the time you get to 2021, 20, 22, the unresolved tensions from chapter two get resolved and they're, they're able to, to keep that together. Yeah. But yeah, so um, Romans 9, 20, um, Paul says, okay, I get what you're saying, guys. Let me break it down. <laughs> no, actually he says, but who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? So... Who, who can resist God's will? Who are you to even ask that question? I mean, right. it's, it's really kind of a striking slap across the hypothetical face of this hypothetical objector. Well, it blames God for that question puts sin at God's feet. Right. Well, but to me, that, that question is 
kind of the quintessential objection against our or against Calvinism mm-hmm. is so you're saying they had never had any choice so those who are reprobate are just going to be able to blame God for being in hell which is not 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 something any Calvinist I've ever heard teach on it actually says mm-hmm. right no they're in there because of their own desires and their sins that they willfully carried right. out in defiance of God's law Revelation says the book was opened and they were each judged according to their deeds right um, so no we we never say that. Nobody goes to hell kicking and screaming, right? Or at least nobody nobody is pushed out of heaven kicking and screaming. Yep. Um, maybe Satan. I don't know, but that's okay. kind of different. Anyway, right. um, will what is molded say to its molder, "Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use?" and another for dishonorable use. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? Yeah, and that's a good... um this was a sticking verse, if you listen to the debate, that Leighton couldn't get off of because he wants to make this lump of clay just Israel, and some of it uh, it gets hardened Israel for judicial harding, and some of it is, isn't. Except that verse 24 says, explicitly <laughs> says it's Jews and Gentiles. Right. So, um, and he's, again, I, I don't know how you... I don't know how, unless you come to this text with a, a presupposition, an assumption on how this text is going. If you're going to force your framework on this text, um, if you don't do that, I don't see how you can arrive at the same place that an Arminian would arrive. I don't see how you can have this just, just be national Israel. Sure, there's some national Israel stuff going on here, but what is in view here is salvation. No one would say it's unfair for God to judge Israel after they all the things they did, all you know, all all the bad things we did. We could review those, but ultimately, the rejecting of the Messiah and killing him. No one would go, man, God, that's unfair. And we like, no, that's that's what they deserve. So that doesn't meet those objections. In fact, if you look back at the blessings and cursings of the law, God delayed the cursings a lot longer than he necessarily had to, according to the letter of the law. Right. You know, so um, I would argue he was doing that to bring about the Messiah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, Israel's not getting an unfair shake in this. But I agree with you. It's It's not primarily about the nation of Israel um, because it can't be because Paul specifically says it's about us, you know, <laughs> the Gentiles, th- those who are Jews. called yeah. us among the Jews and those from among right. the Gentiles. To me, if you, if you, if you want to read this in an Arminian Arminian sense, you, you have God asking the clay or God has clay on the table and he's looking at the clay and going, you know, in this one lump of clay that, I would presume is homogenous. Um, this corner of the ball over here, 
I like it better. I think it's going to respond to my molding better. So I'm going to make the vessel of honor out of this bit of clay. This piece of clay down here, you know, it's a little hard. It doesn't seem as pliable. So what do you, what do you, clay, are you, you're not going to respond that way. I mean, it, it just, the whole point of the passage is the potter and the clay. The potter has total control. Mm -hmm. The clay has no control. Right. The clay is completely passive in pottery making. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. it is, I mean, I've, I've done very little pottery, but I've done enough to know that it doesn't, it's it doesn't tell you what to do. No, it doesn't tell you what to do. And if you look back, I mean, he's quoting from, um, I mean, part of it's coming out of Job, part of it's from Isaiah. I think some of it's coming out of Jeremiah. And it, it, it's the same back there where God is making this very striking metaphor where he's, you know, saying God is the potter. And in the Old Testament, yes, Israel is the clay there. But in, in this context, Paul's clearly expanding that. I, I don't know how you get to there's this interaction going on and God is choosing to make some vessel of honor because of intrinsic properties in the clay. I mean, clay's clay. Right. Right. So what, and it, and it says specifically the same lump, one lump. It's not like good clay, bad clay. Mm -hmm. It's the same clay right. with two different purposes because of God's purpose and God's will. So let me just break this down. Barney style. So what we're saying here is that God created a species that was marked with his image, a moral species, a creative species, a species with uh, will and intelligence and, and emotion and after, after his image, knowing that the best example of that species that would, would exist apart from, you know, the incarnate Christ would fall away from him hmm. would lead to many progeny who would fall away from him. He's going to bring some of those to him and the rest. He's going to demonstrate his, his goodness by sending them to hell. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at verse 22, I think the, what if there is, really only a hypothetical what if I think he's very clearly saying this is what God was doing mm -hmm. and it says and this is probably uncomfortable for a lot of us yeah I mean th this this is probably something we don't ponder a whole lot I don't remember the last time I heard a sermon preaching how good this part is right. most of the time when you hear this it is to scare people into belief but right. it says what if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power yeah, God desires to show his wrath. I don't know that I can wrap my head around that fully. I don't say that as if it's like this comfortable thing and I'm like, hey, this feels good. Right. Certainly, I'm much more comfortable with pondering how God is showing his grace and mercy and love to us who are believers. Mm -hmm. But God desires to show his wrath mm -hmm. and he shows his wrath and he shows his justice in reprobation of fallen humanity mm -hmm. in punishing their sin because it's so evil mm -hmm. and and that highlights who he is his character and that that highlights his wrath but then also in throws into relief his goodness and his mercy right. 
Because we who deserve that wrath aren't getting that wrath. Right. And I think if you really understand that, that, that that is God's purpose and that you really understand in the midst of God's purpose, we still are sinners who are freely choosing sin mm-hmm. that's by our nature uh, i think the difficulty here is one we are the guilty i've said that before but i think when you're you're the guilty one you want to kind of minimize it uh, it's not that bad but no we're guilty um two i think we sometimes again this is repeating what we've said in the past but uh we have this idea that all these people are in hell and they suddenly love God and want to come under his lordship and are wishing to be reunited with their master and to serve him. There's no indication that that's what happens. Mm-hmm. I, I think that they stay um, at odds with him. So it's not that like would the, be a sort of a justification <clears throat> by death. Right. I mean, you, what what about dying changes your nature? Right. Yeah. In fact, scripturally, all it does is seal you into the nature that you had prior to that death. I remember, um, we'll probably need to close soon with this, um, but if you have any last thoughts, uh, we can pick up uh, some objections maybe next time. But uh, I remember talking about um, Calvinism versus Arminianism with my mom before um, she was converted to Calvinism. And she's, her complaint was that Calvinism seemed to make um, the people who were saved um, more special um, than the people who weren't saved. And I was like, no, mom, it's just the opposite. We're all, like you said, out of this same lump of clay. None of us deserve it. God chose God. It's in, it's in, it's in God who chose to draw me to him. Not because I was special. We all deserved it. Uh, hell. And, uh, I think she eventually saw that because I would say, and we don't determine what's right or wrong, um, based on these types of descriptions, but I would say Arminianism, it's just the opposite. Arminianism. It's the people who, respond who are the elect right and in calvinism it's the people who are chosen from god's will who are the elect yeah yeah that that kind of reminds me how sometimes i will take the um the account of the pharisee and the publican you know where the pharisee says lord i thank you that i'm not like other men and blah Mm -hmm. blah blah and i'll actually pray that prayer yeah um because i'm thanking god because i know that if not for his grace, I would be like other men. Right. Um, I know my own heart and I know that even having the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, even knowing God and wanting to pursue him, how difficult it is and how right. much residing sin and abiding sin there is mm-hmm. left in me. Um, by God's grace, I'm mortifying that sin. Uh, by God's grace, I'm being sanctified. But, you know, God, I do thank you that I'm not like other men and I know that it's only by your grace and not not because of some goodness that you found in right. me, the only goodness that's in me, and there is goodness in me, but it's all because right. of the righteousness of Christ and because of God's work in my life. It's specifically because I'm not special that the prayer that I thank you that I'm not like other men really has meaning and impact. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that, um, you know, it's, 
in the Armenian system, it, it all comes down to circumstances or innate capacities or I'm smarter than somebody else or wiser or more sensitive or what, you know, whatever it is. Saw my need. I, I, yeah. And, and we're not saying that under Calvinism, the elect don't respond. Right. But they respond in response to God's choosing them. There is there is a role that we play. Yes. God takes out our <clears throat> heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, and that heart of flesh naturally looks at God, repents, places our faith in the Messiah. I mean, there there is a true choosing. There is a true response. Right. But there is a previous action of God that is required before right. we are made capable of yeah. that choice and response. Yeah. All right. So next time, objections? Yeah, um, objections. I mean, there are some other verses, the passages that we can go to. Um, I don't know if we want to spend a, a long period of time in them like we did for Romans 9. I mean, we're, what, if you take off the first two episodes that we did on the 94 Theses, this is our 12th this would, episode. This would be our 12th tulip episode. And this is the first time we've dealt with Romans nine at length. Yeah. Which may mean that there are more passages in the Bible that support uh, Calvinism than just Roman nine. Okay. So <laughs> going to have, I mean, we're, we're pushed on time a little bit, um, but we're in our theology matters Facebook group, but there's also uh, another one that we're a part of called everything Bibles, which tries to stay theologically neutral um, as much as you can. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes up a little bit here and there, but if people start ranting and raving for or against particular translations that gets shut down pretty quickly. If you have a Calvinism, Arminianism debate come up that gets shut down pretty quickly. Um, they're, they're really trying to keep it pretty neutral, but they were talking about how the ESV study Bible and the Reformation study Bible are so slanted and Calvinistic. And somebody um, respond, or no, I'm, no, no, I'm sorry. This was, uh, I think, the ESV translation of First Peter 1 mm. and how Calvinistic it is. And, well, we looked over the CSB and, golly, that, that read really Calvinistic too. And somebody <laughs> finally responded and said, I think Peter was a Calvinist. <laughs> And, uh, it, it did stay rather lighthearted, but, um, yeah, I, I think that there's 66 books that present the sovereignty of God. Right. And when you understand that, well, they don't all have the specificity that Romans nine does, but, um, the passages that people want to appeal to, I think when rightly understood, beginning with the clear didactic passages on the sovereignty of God, the fallenness of man and what happens in salvation, those other passages become very explicable under that system. Whereas I don't think the Arminian system can go through Romans 9 and make any kind of sense out of it. They have to hop around, do it out of order, make it about nations only, or the lump of clay isn't all of humanity. It's only Israel, even though Paul says, I mean, it, mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I, I think, I, I think we uphold the sovereignty of God, God's freedom to choose for salvation, for his own glory, and the, the other truth that man is responsible, mm -hmm. that our, our actions are free within a certain framework, and that that makes us morally culpable for those actions. All right. I agree. All right. So we're going to draw this episode to a close. Um, if you have questions uh, or objections 
or thoughts, um, send those to us. You can put them in the comments. Um, I know um, I got... You can join Theology Matters on Facebook and post it up there for discussion. Yeah, yeah, but I think it would be good to discuss in front of the larger audience. And yeah. and in that vein, uh, I still owe a, a discussion. So I got some... I don't know how, how often you go to our YouTube channel. It's really my YouTube channel, but with our videos. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Except the ones that are your videos. What's that? Except the videos that are just your videos. Well, yeah, there are some of my, just my <laughs> videos there too. Yeah. Um, cause I don't, yeah, this is a separate discussion. Let's not launch into that. But, uh, so, uh, I did get some comments the last time we were, I was trying to nuance Piper's, um, discussion of fallen man can do no good deed. Uh, I will get back to that. I, I, when I listened to that, I don't know how well I did at trying to explain my thought process. I think things are getting conflated between salvific good deeds and just mm. good deeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll spend some time on that at some future podcast. And then I got a text from a friend in Arkansas, had a different take or possible take on John six. Uh, I've read through it once. I need to read through it more. Um, but I, think that would probably be be best in irresistible grace okay um so maybe we can deal with some of those objections too and then if you have you know eventually there's only five letters in tulip right (laughs) so we're going to eventually come to the end of this so if there's some other topic that you would uh you know outside of the doctrines of sovereign grace that you want us to cover uh no, I look forward to, to having I've got those. some good ideas, but yeah, I would love to hear what other people yeah. want to hear discussed. And maybe it's a short question like, you know, how do you, um, I don't know, fill in the blank. You know, how do you take this verse or what do you think this is meaning here? And we, we maybe would have a Q&A podcast. Oh, that'd be a great yeah. time if we could have just like one whole episode of yeah. like mailbag. Right. Yeah. yeah that'd be cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should come up with a sign off because we don't really have a good strong sign off. So, but we'll think about that. Um, for now, I'll, since I'm such a Greg Kokel copier, well, I'll give you Greg's uh, sign off, which is go give him heaven. <laughs> right. Cause you want him to have heaven, right? You want to be a representative of heaven. Sure. Yeah. All right. Adios. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. 